Well, we continue talking about uh, audacious, this sermon series, uh, to be an audacious church as we move into uh, a new church here and a new schedule, all those kinds of things going on. Last week, uh, Jeff Wheeler preached, and he said that his job last Sunday was to make us a little bit uncomfortable as he challenged us as a church, as believers, as followers of, of Jesus Christ, to be more intentional in the pursuit of people for God. And so as we've gone through this audacious uh, series, we started out with worship called celebration and then impact in terms of ministry. Last week, pursuit. And today we're going to talk about sacrifice. And uh, it's going to talk about money and giving and stewardship and emphasis upon that. And so I think um, I don't have to tell you that my job is to make you feel uncomfortable. For some reason, whenever we talk about those issues in church, there seems to be a lot of uncomfortableness I hope that when I share with you today what I have to share, that there will be a sense of uncomfortableness that you really will feel in the fact that, gee, we really aren't doing what God calls us to do in terms of our stewardship and our generosity. Now, I'll make a confession up front. Um, I struggle with the word sacrifice. I'm stretching it just a little bit to deal with this issue of stewardship and generosity and giving because uh, when we give, we should give the 10%. That's the tithe. That's what God calls for us to give. That's biblical giving. And I think we all should do that. We give sacrificially when we give beyond that. Like when we have gone into capital funds campaigns uh, for this building, uh, for completing the education area below that. Uh, when we built the student center, we went into capital funds campaigns. And we said, you don't, you don't give your tithe to that capital fund campaign to pay off that debt. But we ask you to make a sacrificial gift. And for many of you, that would mean giving up something like cable TV or a meal out per week or something like that. So that you could give that money uh, towards that um, building. And so that really is a concept of, of sacrifice. But it fits with the text, and it was a word that we chose as, as staff. So and let me just give, underscore this whole thing about stewardship. If we love God and are grateful for His saving grace in Jesus Christ and all the blessings that He's given to us, then there shouldn't be any problem on the part of any true believer to be generous in giving for the glory of God. And we should be obedient to what His Word says about the tithe, which is 10%. And we should give it back through the life of our church here at Spring Valley. Now, we talked on, on the whiteboard you saw, to make a sacrificial gift means we give up something else of value to achieve something of greater value for the kingdom of God. See, our salvation is a result of God's sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we can have a relationship with God. Now, why do we need this message on giving and the challenge, uh, the sacrifice in this audacious series to give us an audacious challenge? Well, let me share with you what they say on Sports Center, some of the cold, hard facts. If you look at the screen, you'll see currently this year, in our 1.7 million budget for this year, 2016. As of last Sunday, we were $84,918.52 behind budget. That means that as we are in August, that means that we haven't been able to do some of the things that we 
wanted to do as a church for the kingdom of God. And that affects a lot, a lot of areas, many areas. And ultimately, that will mean that if your heart is geared towards missions, you will know that then the missions percentage we give is based off of what comes in. And so that means less is going to missions than what we wanted to do. Now, the other news is, is in the last seven years, our giving basically has been flat. And we have given, this is what I, I, we ran the figures and averaged them out this week, 1.557341. I thought we've averaged giving as a church for the last seven years. It has not deviated much from that 1.55. I mean, that's just the cold hard facts. There it is. We've increased in number. We've increased in membership. But the giving level has not increased. Now, here's the one that I think is the saddest figure. Out of 1,775 church members, and then there are Sunday school members who have not officially joined the church, you got 1,775 people as potential givers. Only 463 people gave last year and contributed to that 1.694 budget. They gave that 1.694 to a 1.625 budget. You look at that bottom number, that means 1,312 people who have attached themselves to Spring Valley in some way, either as an official member or Sunday school member, gave nothing. Now, you think about our giving potential. Now, I know that we've got various levels of income in the life of our church. But if every family would give simply the 10%, think about our potential for giving. You know, you always get the benefit of what the other crowd, I started saying now from 845 from now and it'd be the 9 o'clock crowd, uh, what they say. And one guy pat, went to that and he said, you know, if everybody who's a member of this church and a member of Sunday school just gave 1% of their income, think what that would be. God asked for 10%. Think what that would be. Our giving potential and what that means we can do for the kingdom of God. I just found it interesting and not coincidental, I think it was a God movement, that last week as I was working on this message, uh, uh, Barner, uh, his group released a study that they had made to um, identify the 50 most generous cities in the United States. Number one was El Paso, and they shared it with somebody else, and I can't remember. Um, number two was Lexington, Kentucky. Number three was Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, number four was the Charleston, Huntington, West Virginia area. And number five was, surprising to me, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, all right, so where did South Carolina come in there? Did we have any cities in that top 50? Yes. For some reason, they grouped Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, and I could understand that. They're all up in that uh, left quadrant up there in our state. But they also brought in Asheville, North Carolina with it. And maybe that's because they're all very similar. I would have thought Asheville would have been much different than these three, Greenville, Spartanburg, and Anderson. But anyway, that group of cities was number 11 in terms of generous cities in the United States. What about our city here of Columbia? Famously hot Columbia. Are we a generous city? Well, interestingly, we were number 24 on the list. That's not too bad, is it? That's not too bad. We're a pretty generous city overall. But while our church languishes behind in our budget and nowhere near our potential, I would have to say that while the city of Columbia is ranked number 24, generous in the nation, we're far from that. We're nowhere near 
our giving potential as a church. Now that leads to the word sacrifice. And that leads to our scripture today and the challenge. It's a tremendous challenge. You're probably familiar with it. It's known as the widow's mite. It's found in Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel. We're going to look at it in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Now listen carefully as how Mark describes this. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people, notice that phrase, threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Now that story has been known as the widow's mite for for years and years because the word used to describe the coin in the King James was a mite. And so that's why it's called the widow's mite. I don't know what your picture might be mentally of this lady, this widow. But uh, here's one painting by James Christensen. I think it's an interesting painting. She looks to me like she's younger than what I would have expected. She's got a hand open with her offering there, as small as it might be. There it is. She's all alone. Everybody else is there kind of doing their own thing. But I think there is a look on her face of maybe adoration and at the same time a total surrender to God as she gives her offering. Now, whatever she might have looked like, I think in this story we find five audacious lessons about giving under that phrase sacrifice. And we can fit that word sacrifice into this sermon on giving because this is what this woman did. It was a sacrifice. And you'll learn why if it hasn't hit you yet. Here are five lessons. Number one, Jesus sees what you give. You ever thought about that? Jesus sees what you give. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. The word watched does not mean he just gave a casual glance, but it meant that he almost stared intently. I don't know why that was his action for that day, but that's what he did. He was on the the temple mount uh, in the court of the women where everyone could go, and that's where Uh, The trumpet-shaped offering boxes were. And people would come and put their offering into those trumpet-shaped boxes. For some reason, Jesus chose to watch how the worshipers gave their money. If you've been a Baptist most of your life or a long time, you might be familiar with the word broadman. For a long time... That was the key word for all the things that Baptists published. Broadman Hymnal. Now it's called Baptist Hymnal, I think, Rick, right? Uh, there was Broadman Publishing. Now it's, I think, Broadman, Holman and Broadman and Holman. And that. Well, anyway, the name Broadman came from portions of the names of two men who were great leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention. One was Basil Manley. That's where the man comes from. 
um, who uh, was instrumental in the founding of Southern Seminary, which actually began in Greenville, South Carolina, and then eventually moved to Louisville, Kentucky. Broad came from, the, the, uh, from John Broadus, who was the pastor for a long time, I believe it was, of Charlottesville Baptist Church in Virginia. Now, I don't know how long he had been at that church when he did this, but he was a brave man. That one Sunday morning, as the offering was being taken up, he came down out of the pulpit and he followed the ushers as they went down every row, passing the plates, and people put their offering in. Now, you can imagine some of the reactions. Some people were absolutely shocked. Some people were angry. Some people were so surprised they didn't know what to think. And he followed them all the way to the back of the auditorium. Then he came back to the pulpit, and he went into the pulpit, and this is what he said. My people, if you take to heart that I have seen your offerings this day and know just what sacrifices you have made and what sacrifices you have not made, remember that the Son of God, your Savior, goes about the aisles with every usher and sees with his sleepless eye every cent put into the collection by his people. A pretty sobering thought, wasn't it? And then he read this passage from the widow's might, and he preached about it. Now, I'd never be so bold as to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be disappointed. That's why I'm glad that we don't sit up here any longer, but I sit over there, and my back is to the rest of the congregation when the offering's taken. The closest I ever came to having that watch as you give was many years ago on a mission trip to Rio in Brazil where the Olympics are being held now. And when I preached at uh, First Baptist of Bethany Gardens, which is a suburb many, many miles out from downtown Rio, Brazil, the interesting thing was that when it came time for the offering, everybody came forward and there was an offering box on the altar and you put your money, your offering in that box. I didn't want to be lonely when it didn't, so I got up and I put offering in there as well. But wasn't that interesting that they came forward and put their offering in that box? Now, today we have many different ways you can give. We send you by mail. We don't. It comes from the company we contract with. Now, you get two months' supply of offering envelopes that you can put your offering in and bring it week by week and put it in the offering plate, or you can mail that in. Then we have ways in in which you can uh, get your money to send to the church by electronic transfer. You can have your your account drafted, or you can do what about 18% of uh, the income from our church is coming from now by doing it online. And people tell me that the reason they do that in other ways is so that if they're not here, their money comes, and I appreciate that. Now, me, I do it the old-fashioned way. I like to write a check, put it in my envelope, and bring it and put it in an offering plate as a part of my worship. But what I'm saying to you is it's never been easier through the means that we have to give to support the work of the kingdom of God through Spring Valley Baptist Church. And it seems that we're stuck at the same level. I fear it's the same people giving every year. And there are a lot of people who have the opportunity to give and don't give. Our giving is down. It's flat. It's never been easier to give, but for some reason... People are just giving less. And that's not here, but that's everywhere in Baptist life. The number of people who tithe is at the lowest point that it's been in probably 40, 50 years. 
And the percent that people give are at the lowest point that it's been in so many years. And that means that the income given into Baptist churches is less than it's ever been. And I find that that is a correlation then to the fact that the last report that came from our Southern Baptist churches, we got this letter that we fill out, our, our church profile that we fill out. And one of the things that we put on there is the number of baptisms. That the baptism rate has declined as has attendance, as has giving. It's all related because it's spiritual. Money isn't a financial issue, it's a spiritual issue, it's a faith issue. Now, so remember that Jesus sees what you give. Here's the second thing, closely related. Jesus notices how you give. I told you to watch those two phrases. Rich people threw in large amounts. Why do you think they, they threw in, or at least Mark says they threw in their amount of money? Want to make a noise. They want people to know they put something in there. And then it says that the widow, how did she do it? It says she put in her two coins. When the widow made her gift, she placed them. The word really for those coins she used was leptas, L-E-P-T-A-S, which literally means thin ones, which meant she probably could have thrown them in there and they wouldn't have made any sound. They were just two small coins. But in the heart of Jesus, those two coins made a sound that reverberated. And here's what we have to notice. Jesus not only watches us give, he knows how much we give. He also knows our motives for giving and how we give. You know, when it's time to pay your taxes, the IRS doesn't care one thing about your feeling, about how you feel about paying your taxes. They don't care whether you're happy or sad or angry or mad uh, or whether you're joyful to support the, uh, the government of the United States. They just demand that you pay it. And for the common people like you and me, we don't pay it, they're going to come get us. Maybe some other people get away with it. You know, and I got audited several years ago. One of the main reasons caused by contributions. I said, what's wrong with that? Well, it just, that looks like an alarming amount of money for that. I said, Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist pastor. I give, I give 10% off of the gross. I still had to go through that process, and it was not a pleasant process to do that. But you see, trying to explain spiritual principles to non-spiritual people sometimes just doesn't make sense. Yep. See, Jesus cares about our attitude when we give. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've probably heard it before, but that word cheerful there is the root word for hilarious. And that means, as one writer said, you ought to giggle when you give. I don't know if that's the attitude that you have about that. Maybe when the plates pass, you giggle because you say, I ain't put nothing in there. Jesus sees what you give. He knows how you give. Here's the third thing. Jesus measures the value of your gift. And that's in comparison. Jesus said to the disciples about this poor widow, she put more than, she gave more than all the others. That was a comparative measurement he was making based upon what the others were giving. 
the value of those two little thin coins was about one-sixteenth of our penny today. Now, that leads, I think, to an observation to make, and it's this, that it's a misconception about giving that many people have. And that is that the more money you have, the more people give. And you say things like, well, you know, if I had more income, I would give more money. Well, I hope that that would be true. But what are you doing off of the income that you have, that God has given to you? You know, it, we, we probably, if you do a look around at the, the social level of the life of this church and the congregation of this church, we're probably not in the lower level. You know, we're probably middle to, middle to upper middle class maybe. And you can look that up as the demographics of what maybe income would average in this area for us. But the misconception says if I made more money, then I would give. I'd tithe. No. And when you say, well, probably people with more money are the ones who give more. Doesn't play out that way. All the studies indicate it's not that way. In fact, in this study of the 50 most generous cities in the United States, some of them are in poverty areas, and they are the most generous. Isn't that interesting? Now, let's see if we can make a comparison so you can understand that. This was a great sacrifice that this woman made. Two little coins worth one-sixteenth of a penny. Now, let's take, for example, Bill Gates. I'm not picking on Bill Gates. I'm not criticizing Bill Gates. It's just the name that I think most all of you would be familiar with. You know that his relationship is there with Microsoft, founder of that, and that he's a very wealthy man, if not the most wealthiest man uh, in the United States. And as I was looking up, just put in simply the wealthiest man in the United States, sometimes there were three of them. I think Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and somebody else I didn't recognize. Kind of jockey for that. Depends upon how the day was on the stock market, okay? But several years ago, it was a big news item, and I agree that it was, that he gave, Bill Gates gave, $100 million to fight AIDS in Africa and India as well. A huge gift, $100 million. I agree with that. And a great cause to support, fighting AIDS. But was it a sacrificial gift? Did he make a sacrificial gift? I say no, because he had billions left over. This week, the report said Bill Gates was worth $78.5 billion. Market went up pretty, pretty good Friday, didn't it? So he's probably, he might have gotten over $78.5 billion into this week. I don't know. None of my business. But I want to show you a little kingdom mathematics according to what Jesus said. So how much did he really give of his income? The $100 million that he gave was 0.0216% of his wealth. And that's just to show you the percentage. I'm not knocking him. He gave $100 million. That's great. Now, if we use the math of Jesus, Jesus said that one-sixteenth of a penny, which this poor widow gave, is greater than that $100 million gift. Now, how can that be? Well, let's put it in percentages then. And the percentages look like this. 100% is greater than zero. 
Why, how do I get 100% out of one sixteenth? The widow gave everything she had. That's 100%. Even though Bill Gates gave $100 million, it was only 0.0216% of his income. That's kingdom mathematics. When you go back to school in a couple of weeks, that math won't work. It's only in the kingdom of God that works, okay? Now, remember, I'm not knocking Bill Gates. I'm just making a comparison here because of what Jesus said. That he values your gift. He knows your income. He knows what your time should be. And you know what he just might do one day? He might lower your income so it would look more like you're tithing off of that level. You ever thought about that? Let's move on. Number four. Jesus is pleased when you give sacrificially. I, I, I think that this gift of this woman who came just absolutely warmed the heart of Jesus and maybe sent chills up and down his spine. And the scripture says, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Now, do we expect Jesus to say anything else but the truth? You remember asking me that question, David Boss? David said, why does that say what Jesus says, I tell you the truth? Why would we expect anything else? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, that I tell you the truth is translated verily, verily in the King James. And what it means is that Jesus is saying, I want you to pay attention because I'm getting ready to say something very profound. Anytime you read in the Scriptures, if you're reading the King James, it says verily, verily. If you're reading it in NIV or whatever else says, I tell you the truth, Jesus is getting ready to make a great statement. Pay attention. Like when Nicodemus came to him. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God except he be born again. So this is what he's saying here. He says, I'm telling you the truth. This woman gave more than all the others because hers was a gift of sacrifice. She gave out of her poverty everything she had to live on. Back in that day, there was no... Social Security. There was no welfare system. She probably didn't have any inheritance. She probably didn't have family to support her. If you read through the Bible about orphans and widows, you will find that's one of the great challenges God's Word gave to the people was to make sure they took care of the orphans and widows. And James says this is true religion when you take care of the widows, and the orphans. See, Jesus was moved because of what this woman gave, more than she could give, and she gave it. There's a great story in the Old Testament that I think gives us a great example of a sacrificial giving and what it means. The story is found in 2 Samuel 24. There was a deadly plague going through the Israelites, wiping them out. And, and David is looking for a place to make a burnt offering to God on behalf of the people so that the plague would be gone. He finds the ideal spot. A farmer by the name of Aruna uh, has a threshing floor. And David says, I want to bu- buy that 
so I can put up an altar to God and make a burnt sacrifice to him. And Aruna said, no, no, king, you can have it. I give it to you. And what do you think David said? David said, no, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. See, if we want to make an offering to God, it really needs to cost us something. Because if we don't, it doesn't have much value to it. Doesn't have much value to it. Here's the fifth thing. Jesus is glorified when you give a gift of sacrifice. Now, how does that come about? Well, you look at what the widow did. A gift of sacrifice is motivated by love. That could be the only reason she gave. is because she loved God. And even in the fact that her husband had died, and she probably was left penniless after she gave the two little coins, she still expressed her love to God. We should be motivated by love because of all that God has done for us and all that God has given to us. A sacrifice is motivated by love. I love. Secondly, a gift of sacrifice forces you to depend upon God. This would have put in everything she had to live on, Jesus said. She didn't have a Social Security check coming in the mail tomorrow. It was everything she had to live on. And if you make a sacrificial gift, then you are learning to depend upon God. See, tithing and giving is not a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision. It's a faith issue. Are you going to trust your checking account, your savings account, your income more than you're going to trust God? God says, trust me with that 10% and see if I don't pour out blessings on you. Okay? And then there's a third observation. A gift of sacrifice surrenders all. Jesus honored this widow for all eternity by saying, she, out of her poverty, put in all she had. Okay, maybe you're sitting there saying, is God not going to be pleased with my giving until I give him everything, give him my car or cars, give him my house, deplete my checking account, give it all, take out all my retirement account and give that all? You know, our boat, our cars, our, our, you know, our, our lake house, our beach house, whatever you got, everything, and give it to God? No, that's, that, no, not really. But what he does want to know is, have you already designated it to him that if he asked for it, you'd be willing to give it? Would you be willing to do that? Why do you tell the rich young ruler, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me? That's not a requirement of salvation, is it? We don't find it anywhere else, do we? Why do you tell the rich young ruler that? It's because the rich young ruler had a problem with money, evidently, right? And what did he do? He went away sorrowful, the scripture said, because he had a lot. He didn't want to give it to God. Jesus was testing him. Now, so what it means is that Jesus is satisfied if we let him know that everything we have, we know came from him. And if he wants to ask for it back, we give it back to him. Right now, I would be pleased and he probably would be pleased if everybody 
and Spring Valley Baptist would tithe. And I want to challenge you, if you're not doing it, try it. If you can't make it to the time, start with some percent of your income and have a goal to move up as to how you're going to reach that level. And I want you to think about your relationship with God today and your level of giving. And think about the cross as that comparison. Now, think about that cross. Was that a sacrifice for Jesus? Well, let's put it to the test. Number one, Jesus was motivated by love. What was that love? He loved his Father, and he loved you, and he loved me, even when we were dead in our sins, right? He was motivated by love. Secondly, it forced him to trust God completely. The night before he was crucified, he prayed in the garden, and he said what? Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And then as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was totally dependent upon God. And thirdly, he surrendered it all. He literally went to the cross, physically nailed to that cross after being beaten and mutilated. And he literally died as the only atoning sacrifice for our sin. He paid it all. He paid it all. And that ought to challenge us right there. To give, being motivated by love, trusting upon God, and surrendering all that we have to Him. If you haven't gotten the gist of the message, I'm challenging us all to be audacious givers. And imagine the potential for this church and what we can do for the kingdom of God if we all became audacious in our giving. Father, you're a loving God. You give us so much, and we're grateful for it. But maybe we don't show our expression of love through obedience to you and dependence upon you and faith in you to trust you with our money. Father, I pray that as we trust you with our souls for salvation, uh, that we will trust you with our money, our income knowing that you will meet our needs and that we will be faithful and you will be pleased with our giving. And we pray all this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, who gave us all for us, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.